So we're making our way through the final words of Jesus before his death, resurrection, and ascension unto the Father, what has traditionally been called the farewell discourses of the Gospel of John. Jesus, prior to his departure from earth, knew he would be sending his communities, his followers, into a hostile world. And so he wanted them, his followers, to be well prepared before his departure for what they would encounter out in a world that had gone awry with sin. And though he would no longer be physically present with his people, Jesus did not intend on leaving his disciples alone in any way. This morning, as I said, we're going to be meditating deeply on what I consider to be the single most important and the greatest gift that God has given to his people, namely, God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit, upon us, with us, and in us. Now, the language surrounding the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it is very, very dense. So for the sake of time, thousands of years of theology and philosophy and history in one paragraph, we can summarize the Holy Spirit by saying that he is called both the Spirit of Jesus and the Spirit of the Father. We know from our text here this morning that he has been sent by Jesus from the Father, and we know that the texts of Scripture describe him as a separate and unique person with a will. The Holy Spirit has volition. He has desire. He's not just a nebulous force. He is, as the texts reveal him, one with the Father and one with the Son, and yet a separate, unique person. What we're touching on here is literally the mind-numbing, dizzying reality of the doctrine of the Trinity. True Christianity, orthodox Christianity throughout the history of our existence has held that the words of the Old Testament, the words of Jesus, and the words of the New Testament authors, primarily the apostles, reveal a God, a creator of all things who exists as three separate persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but those three separate persons are one in essence. If you have a simple way of explaining that, come talk to me afterwards because you're probably a heretic. (laughs) The Trinity actually is the heartbeat of Christianity, and that's about all we can say on that this morning because thousands of years of theology and philosophy have been writing about the mystery that is the centerpiece of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, separate but one in essence. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. From our passage, Jesus uses a unique word to title, a moniker, a name for the Holy Spirit. He calls him the parakletos. Para, come alongside, kletos, to comfort, to encourage, to convict, to expose, to to prove. So what happens is you'll see in your English translations that we as English speakers are really struggling to capture all that parakletos, that word, entails. It's variously translated throughout your NIV and ESV and RSV and NLT. The multitudes of English translations, it will be translated as advocate, counselor, helper, encourager, companion, comforter, and many other things, actually. A simple way this morning for the sake of our text and applying it to us is we might call the Holy Spirit our friend. In fact, We might call the Holy Spirit and think of him as our best friend. Here's why. Think about with me what constitutes a good friend. What constitutes a best friend? They're available. They're faithful. 
They delight in our person, and we delight in being in them and with them. They're enjoyable to be around. We enjoy their company. A good friend, a best friend will stick up for us as our protector. A good friend, a best friend will provide for us when we're in need. But here's the linchpin. Here's the key to a best friend, a true friend, a good friend. They will call us out on our baloney. <laughs> they do not flatter us in our failures and in our faults. A good friend, a true friend, when we are in the wrong, they will love us enough to let us know. And so the Holy Spirit, he does all of this and more within the hearts of Jesus's collected family as individuals and as a community. He advocates for us, stands up for us, protects us. He counsels us in our times of confusion. He encourages us in our times of fear and uncertainty. He comforts us in our times of woe and in pain. He convicts us and corrects us when we are wrong. He is indeed our dearest friend. Think of him that way this morning, your best friend, the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus said in our text that his departure from earth would actually be a good thing because in his absence, he would send the Holy Spirit to do the work that Jesus had been doing to speak the words that Jesus had been speaking, only now God would be doing those works and speaking those words through the Spirit-animated people called the church. And so it was a good thing for him to depart because now in this ever-expanding way throughout the globe, God's people, animated by their best friend, the Holy Spirit, advocating, counseling, comforting, convicting, correcting them, would go forth and do in the world what Jesus had done while he was here. Now, before we get to the actual text and the points for this morning, I want to emphasize something so very important for us as a church. You and I, Neighbors Church, the church, universal, you as a Christian, we cannot become who we are supposed to be apart from the Holy Spirit. In a day and age of self-care and self-help and self-defining, we, the Christians, say, I don't get to care for myself, nor help myself, nor define myself. I am empowered and moved and created by the Holy Spirit. We cannot do, that is your purpose in this world, we cannot do what we are supposed to do apart from the guidance and empowerment and wisdom and goodness and courage of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, just a couple brief texts here. Jesus instructed his disciples saying this, this is what is written, the Messiah, that's the king, Jesus, he will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but bolded, underlined, stay in the city, stay in your seat. Stay in your circumstances currently. Stay where you are until you have been clothed with power from on high. In the book of Acts, Luke's sequel to this passage in the Gospel of Luke, the church was born out of literal winds and fires as the Holy Spirit descended in fulfillment of the promise of Jesus to send him to us the Spirit descends on the community and the church is born. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Acts chapter 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It was in the first century in the power of the Holy Spirit that this ragtag community of rejects and unknowns and utter social weaklings, they would go forth into the Roman Empire and within two or three centuries have literally turned it upside down, boldly bearing witness to the glory of Jesus. And ever since that initial outpouring in Acts chapter 2, God has progressively, in moments in time in history, broken in upon his people with unique power, unique manifestation, unique anointing. Every great move of God, every revival, every work of renewal in the personal heart and in the collected body of Jesus has been catalyzed. It's been started by some dramatic movement of God's presence, the Holy Spirit, manifesting in the midst of Jesus' communities. And I want to challenge us. This is at the guts of our prayer as a church plant. We are praying for an outpouring like the book of Acts in this generation. We are asking God to move again as he has in revival and renewal works throughout the history of his people. To come upon us in the midst of an overheated gathering space. To move us, to awaken us, to quicken us to give us new hope, to give us new courage, to awaken us from our lethargy where we have fallen asleep in our social cynicism. We are going to live forever. And we walk about our days grumpy, discouraged, anxious, so worried about what will be, and God the Holy Spirit is just waiting for one of us to say, send me. Pour yourself out on me. I want more of you and less of this world. This is what we're praying for. The great A.W. Tozer, pastor of a generation gone by, my favorite pastoral author, said if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, which I think he has, he is grieved by the church today in the West. 95% of what we would do would go on and no one would know the difference. That's why people show up to church going, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And that's why in droves they are making their way to the exits because no one is open to, longing for, begging, wanting the Holy Spirit to come. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. So this morning as we meditate on the Holy Spirit from our text, I want to pastorally challenge us as we settle in through the summer, we figure out all the bugs of our hospitality stuff, signs and kids and bathrooms and air conditioning, all the stuff that we need to do to welcome more into our family. I want to pastorally challenge this group here on this morning with a crucial set of questions. Have you and I been clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit? Be ruthlessly honest with yourself about that right now. How can we know if we've been clothed in power or not? Is the Holy Spirit your best friend or merely some theological abstract concept out there in the world of the church that you attend? Are we, right now, as a little tiny baby church plant that has already weathered so much crap, are we open to be animated by God the Holy Spirit in ways that we don't get to control 
in ways that we don't manage, in ways that we don't strategize. We don't grab our leadership church planting book and say, step one, step two, step three, church plant in a box, here we go. Are we open to just saying, throw the book out the door, get on our faces and pray, Holy Spirit, come in this place today. Friends, great revivals and great breakthroughs have opened up in meetings just like this breakthroughs that we were praying for just this morning. God has literally launched movements that change the face of the planet in moments like this where we literally pray, which is what we're going to end our day with. From our text, three key works of the Holy Spirit that mark a community clothed in his power. Testimony, conviction, and glory. Three key facets, three key signs that we are being clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit as individuals and as a community. Testimony, conviction, and glory. Number one, the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. Verse 26 of John chapter 15. Jesus says, when the advocate comes, the counselor, the comforter, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. One of the primary works the Spirit does in this world is to testify or to bear witness. Those are big bible words. I still don't get them. I've been in the church for 20 years. I, I'm like, I don't know what that actually means. Here's what it means in the most simple words. The Holy Spirit is sent and comes upon a people to declare and speak to the world what he knows about Jesus. This person with a volition, this third part of our triune God, his whole role and goal is to tell and to declare, to testify, to bear witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Therefore, a community being animated, a human being animated by the Holy Spirit, will have an ongoing steady stream of testimony, of bearing witness, of declaring, of saying to anyone in front of them, here's who Jesus is. I see him, know him, feel him, and here is what he has done. The Spirit animates us towards that work, emboldens us, gives us courage, highlights, gives us eyes to see what God is doing in Christ. The overflow of a Christian community filled with the Spirit is this constant community of declarations and descriptions in small groups on Sunday mornings during Passing the Peace, afterwards when you're having lunch. You're just overflowing with, and here's how God has brought me through this. And here's how God's brought me through the desert. And I've been in a dry season of deconstruction and cynicism, and I went to church on Sunday morning, and the pastor said this, and the text was this, and I was like, whoa, this is what Jesus is doing for me now. Declaring testimony. Witness. The Spirit is at work today, right now, my friend, no matter how bitter or burned out or dry you feel, the Spirit is at work in your soul if you cry out, testifying to the goodness of God in your life, the mercy of God in your life, the forgiveness and the power of God in your life. And a person who is animated by the Holy Spirit will be doing no less. And this is what Jesus was warning us about. He warned us that we would be the awkward people who are persecuted, who are opposed. There's hostility towards this declaration because we go out in the animation of the Holy Spirit and we say, I believe Jesus is truth. I believe Jesus is light. I believe Jesus is life. I believe Jesus is the way. And we won't shut up about it. And we declare it with deep conviction because we see it, feel it, know it within our hearts by the grace of the animating work of the Holy Spirit. We are a people who literally say, I once was blind, but now I can see. And that sounds obnoxious to those who are still blind. 
but it does not cease our testimony. The word translated testify here is actually the Greek word marturo. Marturo. Can you guys say marturo with me? Marturo. Well done, class. This is what we get our English word martyr from. You guys know what a martyr is? A martyr is somebody who dies for their faith. The Holy Spirit, when we open ourselves up, can bring such a convincing testimony that Jesus has forgiven me, Jesus indwells me, Jesus loves me, Jesus cares for me, Jesus will raise me from the dead. The Holy Spirit can and wants to make that so real to your heart, mind, soul, and being that humans will go to their death before they deny what they have seen and experienced. That's the animating work of the Holy Spirit. That's the invitation to us, friends, at the beginning of this church plant. It is a call to pray right now where you are. Holy Spirit, I need fresh insight. I need fresh testimony. Not an experience. Not some emotional high to drag me out of my gloom. I need to see you, God, doing in me. Show me however you want to show me, whatever you want to show me, that I might declare the righteousness and the glory of Jesus. That we might be a community bearing witness to Jesus in the world. Number two, he convicts. He convicts. This is a fun one. If you're new to Neighbors Church on Sunday mornings, it can get a little bit thick in here because Jesus was so jarring. We love to think of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, hair blowing in the wind, lamb tucked under his little arm, beautiful painting, usually with blue eyes. I have no idea why a Middle Eastern Palestinian would have blue eyes. But that's the way we vision him. Jesus instead is like, when I send the Holy Spirit, he's going to make you feel guilty. <laughs> what? When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, verse 8, and then he goes on. Now, you guys will note there from the screen, it says that the Holy Spirit proves to the world, and I've opted to make this point, he convicts. Once again, our English translations, they're really struggling to get the depth and breadth of a very, very dense Greek word. I've chosen convict for our point because it gets to the kernel of one of the most crucial works of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying that when he comes and when he's animating a people, there are three categories that the Holy Spirit exposes or convinces of or proves to the people or convicts a people in. Those three categories are sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit, when he's animating us, he's exposing, convincing, and convicting of sin. Or he's exposing, convincing, and convicting of righteousness or is exposing, convincing, and convicting of judgment. Everybody tracking with that? All right. Let's talk about sin here for just a moment. What the Holy Spirit does in you and I and in the world is he makes us aware of sin. He exposes or proves and then emphasizes this is what sin is and this is where it's happening. Now, sin has been historically defined as missing the mark. You shoot for a target, you miss the mark, and that is sin. Or for most of us, especially if you were raised in the church, sin is just breaking the rules. Like, you didn't follow God's rules, therefore you have sinned. In some measure, that's kind of part of the definition of sin, but it's so much more than that. Don Carson, New Testament scholar, defines sin as the dethroning of God. Sin sets self and self-will at the center in place of God. Cornelius Plantinga, probably one of the most important Christian philosophers of our generation, he calls sin the vandalism of shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that means good and right and beautiful. Everything is in right order. And Plantingo would say that sin is the vandalism of that shalom. Sin pollutes everything that is pure. Sin takes that which is straight and makes it crooked. 
Sin corrupts that which was once full of integrity. And what sin does to us is it vandalizes shalom in our souls, is it deceives us so that we believe that the decisions we're making and the behaviors we're acting in, even if they are in rebellion against God, consciously or unconsciously, we believe the lie that those decisions and those behaviors will bring greater human flourishing and greater happiness, which is what we're all pursuing, rather than obedience. That's what sin does. It really messes us up. And the exact opposite is actually the case. This is why St. Ignatius of Loyola, one of my favorite mystics, said, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. That's why you sin. Please understand that. You sin because you don't believe that what God wants for you is actually your deepest happiness in acts of obedience, regardless of how confusing they are. And so a community that is being animated by the Holy Spirit will be convicted, convinced, proven in its sin. We will be convinced by the Spirit that actually obeying God, even if it's so confusing, so difficult, we will be convinced by the Spirit in His secret, soft, almost whispery way We will become convinced that our self-defined will will not lead to human flourishing. And we will put God back on the throne and we will shoot more accurately for the target. And we'll try to keep the rules because that's part of living obediently to him. A community of conviction, folks, is a community marked by repentance. There's a big, bad, old Bible word that we need to resurrect in the church. You have been clothed in power if you're repenting of sin. The greatest movements of God in our history have always been marked by radical outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And you want to know what has happened in those radical outpourings of the Holy Spirit? Conviction of sin and a joy-filled repentance has marked, has been central to those movements. I could list them off and off. I could list hundreds of them throughout our history. Maybe the greatest renewal work in all of the history of the church was catalyzed by this fiery little beer-drinking monk named Martin Luther. And in protest... In an effort to bring reform to the church of his day that had been corrupted and deformed by sin, the Catholic church of his day, Luther posted 95 theses. That's a big word that means truth propositions. 95 statements of reform for the Catholic church. Martin Luther had no intention on starting Protestantism when he did this. He posted it on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And his very first declaration, his very first theses that launched the reform of the church of his day was this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Not a self-flagellating, that's just a big word that means beating myself up, woe is me, I'm such a sinner. No, the declaration of the Holy Spirit saying, my way as your God and creator will lead to human flourishing. And us saying, I joyfully turn to that. All of life is a joy-filled, happy, human flourishing turning to a father who says, my deepest heart for you is your greatest happiness. A community animated by the Spirit is marked by that type of repentance day in, day out. And so this initial call to repentance that led to the Reformation, and we, the protesters of the Catholic Church, still goes on to this day as we find ourselves sitting here in Adams Elementary, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, repenting of our sin, crying out, 
Revival will start in your heart and in my heart first, where we practice wholehearted confession. We renounce our personal sin and we pledge our allegiance to Jesus over and over. And this is where revival breaks out in our personal lives. We learn to be holy as he is holy and covenanted to him as he is holy. And slowly, like little candles that just light up, revival happens in the heart. And then at some tipping point, at some tipping point, you hit critical mass and it just sweeps like a wildfire. Second, we're in these three categories of sin. Please just track with me. These three categories of conviction, I mean. He convicts of sin. Number two, he convicts and convinces of righteousness. What did Jesus mean by that? that the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. What Jesus meant was that the world, the world has its own standard of right and wrong. Have you guys noticed that? And in a day of tribalism, there's a whole lot of teams saying, this is right and that's wrong. And then there's another team saying, no, we're right and they're wrong. Has anybody been watching the news lately? Or did you survive 2020 and the election and the whole thing? It was awesome. What Jesus was saying is that The Holy Spirit, when he's animating a community, he's convincing them or he's convicting them that their worldly standards of righteousness is nothing in comparison to God's standard of righteousness. And so in a day and age where everybody is clamoring to be on the right slash righteous side of history, this is the moral language of our day. I'm not diminishing it. I'm just saying this is the culture we swim in. And in a day where everybody on their Twitter feeds and Instagram is is virtue signaling about here's whose team I'm on and here's the team you should be on. And if you're not on this team, you're going to get in big trouble. You're going to be canceled because you're you're not righteous. You're not right. You're on the wrong team. In this climate, we the church have been sit because the Holy Spirit is at work in us pointing to the world and saying self made deformed standards of righteousness do not stand in the presence of God. A community animated by the Spirit actually wants a whole different standard of righteousness, not by outward rules, but by the righteousness of God himself through faith in Jesus. No other standard suffices. This is what St. Paul meant. And Paul was a man who, on all accounts, ticked off every checkbox of righteousness according to the cultural and social standards of his day. But he would write to the Philippians post-Jesus, post-indwelling of the Holy Spirit, verses 8 through 9 of Philippians chapter 3. He said, I count all of these things, all of my former standards of righteousness, all of my being on the right team, all of my voting right, all of my thinking about this and thinking about that right, I say I count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, the third category of conviction, and I won't develop this very much. We need to do an entire series on the devil. It'll be a fun one. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit convicts the world and us of judgment. The Holy Spirit is at work exposing the truth that this morning, Satan and his warfare against God and the church has been lost. Verse 11, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That is a very, very loaded rabbinic statement. Jesus is saying the victory has been granted through the cross and the resurrection. And therefore, a community animated by the Spirit, we find ourselves walking above the malaise, walking above the chaos, 
on the waters, so to speak. We're walking in the victory of the resurrection. You and I, when the Spirit animates us, we're no longer slaves to our fears of the future. We're not even slaves to fear of death, as the author of Hebrews tells us, because the one who has the power of death, Satan, has been defeated completely by the resurrection. He has been judged. And so when the sport, sport, when the sport, when the Spirit, when the Spirit, little valley girl thing, surfer thing, I don't know what's happening right there. Public speaking. When the Spirit pours out on a community, there is a radical selfless courage that just erupts because the victory is made real to us. Let's wrap this up. The third, I think, keynote work of the Holy Spirit in an animated community that's moving in His power and in His wisdom is the Spirit glorifies. The Spirit glorifies. There's testimony within that community, within the people, of what God is doing and has done. There's conviction, and it's a life of joy-filled repentance. There's an awareness of what righteousness is. There's a victory because judgment has been laid out upon the prince of the power of the air. And number three, the Spirit glorifies, verses 13 to 14. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So there's this guidance that happens around all of these realities of Scripture and God's people and the church and righteousness. The Spirit is there guiding what's true about that. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. That's exactly what Jesus said. He did. I do only what my Father does. I speak only what my Father says. Three, but one, mystery, amazing. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. He will glorify me, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit guides humans from lies into the truth of the kingdom of God and into the reign and under the reign of King Jesus. And his whole goal is to end all of the world and every person that has ever existed in all of creation to say, Jesus, you are good and true and right and beautiful and glorious. The Holy Spirit is essentially, again, my brain doesn't work with the Bible terms very well. What, Jesus, what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's making Jesus famous. He's making Jesus the ultimate influencer. <laughs> he's making Jesus the ultimate all in all for everything in all of creation. Why? Because he is. Because Jesus is everything. He is the ultimate in all glory, in all fame, in all worth. And the Holy Spirit is aligning himself with that reality, with the grain of the universe. So he honors Jesus. The Holy Spirit in your heart right now is touting Jesus, praising him, and making him the center stage of your heart, our community's heart, and eventually all of creation in time. And so, a community animated by the Holy Spirit, we will have Jesus right at the center of our stage. Spirit-animated communities aren't well-oiled machines. We don't work like clockwork. We don't pull off great Sunday events. We gather together, and we feel our ineptitude we feel our awkwardness. We feel like, I'm definitely not cool like the world is cool. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, I want your heart to be utterly grateful for what Jesus does. Not your great event, not your strategies, not your, none of this. I want you to be grateful for the glory of Jesus. And the more that you and I depend on and open ourselves to the testimony or to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, 
the more Jesus will actually become your everything. Everything. Jesus will be made famous through you and I to the world as our provider and protector, forgiver, lover, friend, and savior. And so we're just going to close now with some concrete kind of how-tos. How-tos. How do we actually grow this week in relationship with our best friend, with the Holy Spirit? How do we actually do that? How do we walk in friendship with him? How do we align ourselves with the work that he's already doing? I know some of you Pentecostals wanted me to talk about tongues today. Some of you cessationists in here are like, oh, no, what's about to happen? Here's... Here's what we're actually talking about. How do we align with the testimony of Jesus, the conviction of the Holy Spirit? How do we align with the glory? These are the greater works of God. Tongues comes in some of those people, and tongues doesn't come for some of those people. Number one, live relationally with him, not informationally. Brains in jars, I cannot challenge you enough in this. You are more than a brain in a jar. The Holy Spirit is not a force, and he is not a set of doctrines to be memorized, and he is, he, he is a person to be loved and to be loved by. Let me, just, let me just wax theological here for a moment. Maybe you're sitting there right now, and you can articulate a brilliant, clear, concise theology of the Holy Spirit, and you have the entire Nicene Creed memorized. And you know what led to the Council of Chalcedon and what happened at the Council of Chalcedon and what the church believes because of the Council of Chalcedon. And you even know what the Philoque Clause is of the East-West split in the 10th century. Hey, 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 hey. You can know all of that and not walk in relationship with your best friend, the Holy Spirit. You're just a brain in the jar with a bunch of data about who cares what. (laughs) Give me it, Josh. Right back there, brother. Give me it. If you don't know anything of what I just said, you can walk with the Holy Spirit this week. Deep in your soul as your best friend. And I want to say, I want to say to my theological neatniks in the room, I love you. I'm one of you. I'm analytic and I'm a, I'm a hair splitting how many angels fit on the head of a needle. All that stuff, I love it. But let me tell you, be very careful just becoming a brain in a jar with a bunch of data about a God who loves you and wants to walk with you and empower you in a real relational way. The Holy Spirit is not something to just be taught and then thought about this week, my friends. He wants to communicate with us in the Word, in Scripture, in Lectio Divina, in our minds through these little whispered thoughts. Was that God? Maybe that was God. Maybe Maybe that was just me. Maybe that was you, and God the Holy Spirit was giving you that thought. That's how this works, by pure faith. And He wants to speak with you in an embodied way. All those things that you're either suppressing or just amplifying those emotions, Those are ways in which the Holy Spirit is wanting to work into the contours of conversation with us. So much more to say about that, but we can't. You must, you must, you must create time and space to be with God the Holy Spirit in stillness and in activity. If you're brand new to neighbors, we're big around here on silence and solitude and stillness, but we're not a bunch of hippies just pondering our navels. We go to be still with the Holy Spirit to live this embodied sense of who he is in deep meditation so that we can go out animated by him into our world. And so we open ourselves without distraction to who he is in both stillness and in activity, in silence and solitude, so that when we arrive at community, we have something to say that is actually from him, in him, with him, and for him. Ask the Holy Spirit to communicate with you in the scriptures. Get rid of distractions. Relationships, my friends, take effort and focus. 
I am at a point with our phones when I am sitting in a community of people and the phones come out and people are having a conversation and there are people that are just sitting there staring at their phone. This was me sometimes. I'm, I'm warning myself that I'm going to walk up to myself, I'm going to grab the phone, and I'm going to chuck it as far as I can. <laughs> and I'm going to say, me, you are here with other people. Be with these other people because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you right now. I actually dropped my iPhone 11 off of the Canyon Rim in Idaho, so now I'm using my daughter's iPhone 6 from the Paleolithic era. This thing barely works. It's such a gift, such a gift. Number two, friends, you don't get to kind of halfway Christianity. If you want the Holy Spirit, if you want the things that I'm up here squawking about, you have to give your whole self. And we have a whole litany, a whole list of convenient, cynical, justified reasons why we don't just completely abandon ourselves to God. But I'm telling you, we all know that the more intimate a relationship is, the more the partners have given themselves to each other. That's why marriage covenant is so thick. That's why, that's why this church community is so important with the singles and the marrieds in here, that we know each other and we are covenanted one to another, giving ourselves wholly to each other. And so to walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit is to say, I'm going to walk with you fully today. I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm not going to try to control it. I'm not going to strategize. I'm going to give my whole self to you, which means there's no more hiding anything from him. We're not hiding anything from ourselves. We're doing what the Spirit guides us to, convicts us of, tells us to do in a moment. And as he testifies to the truth of Jesus and convicts us and convinces us of sin, this means that more and more we're letting go of control. And so we stop hiding, we stop pretending, we stop justifying. We become ruthlessly honest with our inward set of issues, but we are also ruthlessly trusting, ruthlessly trusting in his transforming, comforting work that never ceases. And we process that all transparently in covenant community with each other. We give our whole self to him with the intention to obey. <laughs> it's not... Holy Spirit, I'll give myself to you as long as you do this, 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 and this. That's just American Christianity gone awry. And I think, he, I think the Holy Spirit has a tear in his eye. But the minute we step up in the morning and we say, Adam's prayer, fresh breath, I'm alive, this is a gift. Holy Spirit, this whole day is yours, I'm yours, whatever. I think that that's where revival happens. Number three, and we close with this. The Holy Spirit wants to make Jesus famous to you and in you and through you and for you. This is the work that he wants to do, to make Jesus center stage above your fears, concerns, anxieties, doubts, worries, cynicism, anger, deconstruction. The Holy Spirit is in you and in our community and in this world trying to make Jesus the centerpiece of everything, to make him famous for what he's doing in us and for us, to herald him as the true and right king. And so we must, as animated people of God by the Spirit, make it our intent every day if you want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, make it your intent to make Jesus famous that day. Have you ever noticed that people that go away like on little two-week mission trips, or if you've ever been on a little two-week mission trip like down to Tijuana, or if you've been overseas, and you're there focused to tell people about Jesus and serve Jesus, it's like, I just feel God everywhere. It's amazing. That happens here in the United States every day when you go to work or school tomorrow. It's just that the hostility of the world is very overwhelming. 
And so we need the conviction and the courage of the Holy Spirit to go and glorify Jesus for creating us, for his cross and for forgiving us, and for Jesus resurrecting us one day. Here's what we're going to do this morning. It is hotter than snot in here. I understand that. But rather than take communion this morning, I, I thought it would be much more appropriate for us to respond in prayer. And so Haley's going to come up, and we're going to sing to Jesus. Sing songs of praise to him. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us. The Holy Spirit wants to animate songs of praise to Jesus. And here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like us to pray for each other. In groups, we're going to have some of our community leaders spread out, like up here, if the community leaders would come up front. And if in any way, shape, or form this morning, I just, I, ugh. The idea of this being emotionally manipulative just makes me, blah. Yeah. I, want, I want you to, to discern, where, where do I need to be clothed in the spirit again? Some of you have been in that deconstruction wilderness and cynicism for so long. Trust me, I, I'm with you. I understand. I get it. But you're not going to out-cynic your way through this. You can't mentally get your way through this. At some point, you either surrender to the mystery of faith or you don't. Mm -hmm. And some of you, I think, this morning are being called to come forward and to confess and to say, I want the Holy Spirit again. Mm -hmm. I want to live in the mystery of Christianity. I want to live with him relationally again. Mm -hmm. Some this morning, maybe there's something that's just been besetting you, as the old word is in the book of Hebrews. Some sin that's been entangling you, and you just feel that depth of conviction. Come forward this morning, or even if you're not comfortable coming forward, lean to the person next to you and just say, I need prayer for this, and confess. Confess that to them. Some this morning are just, I just, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I don't, I'm, I've been wanting this. This is only affirmation of what I've been praying for for the last year, two years, five years. For 10 years now, I've been praying for this. We're just going to open up in song. And let the Holy Spirit do his work in us today and open ourselves to him. If you feel like you need to leave, please don't feel bad about leaving. If you've got someplace to go or it's just too hot or you're not comfortable with this, totally, totally get it. But for those of us that are really just wanting to pray and ask God. Now, the final thing I want to say before we do this, we don't get to control God. Don't come forward for prayer with this kind of vision of angels breaking open and lightning coming down into your head and everything changes. Just come with an open hand. And he may give you the gift of stillness in the midst of no sensation at all. He may give you the gift of, of no big thing happening because he's asking you to trust that he's moving. For some, though, there may be. You may begin to want to sing in a language that you've never sang in. The gift of tongues. Some may have a word given to them. But let's be the community animated by the Holy Spirit this morning. Yes? Amen? Would you all stand with me, please? And I'm going to pray, and Haley's going to begin to lead us in worship. If you're going to pray this morning, uh, if you're one of our community leaders or whatever, would you guys go ahead and come on up front, and let's pray. Holy Spirit. There's no strategy. There's no, uh, there's no work we can do. There's no words we can speak. There's no chord we can hit that actually, there's no lyric we can sing. There's no, there's no thing that we can do that like brings the Holy Spirit. 
There's just us as a people saying, I, in my dryness, I open myself up. And I'll let you be in control, God. There, there, is, there is the repentance, the, the turning towards you today. And so, Spirit, come and empower your people. We, I have prayed for 20 years now, 20 years, begging you almost daily to see the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in my generation, to see you pour out in a new and fresh way, to see Republicans and Democrats forsaking their righteous politics and walking in the righteousness of Jesus in the community of God, to see black and white and Hispanic Asian, every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together to declare the fame and the glory of their Father who has adopted them in the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I'm praying for my gay and transgender friends that they would come and see and know you, a way of life living in you. I pray that revival would break out in the LGBTQ communities, that that may even become a spearhead community of people expressing devotion to Jesus, expressing a radical obedience to Jesus that far exceeds what we could have ever imagined in this life, that counteracts the counter, the, the cultural lies, that flourishing lies in politics or race or sexuality, but that flourishing comes in intimacy with you. Another deep breath into our bellies as Adam did on that first day. And then another deep breath as the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And one final deep breath in this moment to just be with him together in this room and wait on him and sing to him. Come forward this morning and get prayer. Let's sing.